1: FireEye provides an overview of the DarkSide ransomware-as-a-service operation. ForcePoint suggests a connection between DarkSide and other ransomware gangs. Colonial Pipeline continues its recovery efforts from the cyber-attack it sustained. As ransomware grows more common, CISA offers advice on how to prepare defenses. A new android banking trojan is in circulation. Cecilia Marinier from RSA on the RSAC Innovation Sandbox... Red Arseneau from Microsoft previews his new Microsoft CISO podcast, and yesterday, of course, was Patch Tuesday. From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May twelfth, twenty twenty one. As Colonial Pipeline continues its recovery from the DarkSide ransomware incident it sustained last week, various researchers turn their attention to the group behind the attack. Security firm FireEye, said to have been brought in by Colonial Pipeline to assist with investigation and recovery, yesterday published a report on DarkSide that emphasizes the group's ransomware-as-a-service model. It's a selective operation. Criminal applicants for affiliate status are, for example interviewed before being given access to DarkSide's control panel. But it's also not a monolithic one. FireEye's Mandiant unit currently tracks five clusters of DarkSide threat activity. The affiliate model DarkSide uses shares criminal profits. Quote, Affiliates retain a percentage of the ransom fee from each victim. Based on forum advertisements, this percentage starts at 25% for ransom fees less than $500,000, and decreases to 10% for ransom fees greater than five million dollars FireEye's report says that Mandiant has identified at least five Russian-speaking actors who may currently or have previously been dark side affiliates. Relevant advertisements associated with a portion of these threat actors have been aimed at finding either initial access providers or actors capable of deploying ransomware on accesses already obtained. Some actors claiming to use Darkseid have also allegedly partnered with other ransomware-as-a-service affiliate programs, including Babook and Sodinakibi, also known as R-Evil. Researchers at security firm Flashpoint are interested in the connections they discern between Darkseid and R-Evil. Quote, Flashpoint assesses with moderate confidence that the threat actors behind Darkseid ransomware are of Russian origin and are likely former affiliates of the R-Evil ransomware-as-a-service group. Several facts support this attribution. Spelling mistakes in the ransom note and grammatical constructs of the sentences suggest that the writers are not native English speakers. The malware checks the default language of the system to avoid infecting systems based in the countries of the former Soviet Union— The design of the ransom note, wallpaper, file encryption, extension and details, and inner workings bear similarities to our evil ransomware, which is of Russian origin and has an extensive affiliate program. This shows the evolution path of this ransomware and ties it to other Russian origin ransomware families. And the affiliate program is offered on Russian language forums XSS and Exploit. As an aside, many outlets have reported, with an appearance of credulity, that side has forsworn attacks that amount to an infliction of social ills, and that the attack on Colonial Pipeline may be one the operators now regret. side communiques have indeed offered various high-minded expressions of care in their selections of targets, while their avowals have more than a whiff of late-night dormitory discussions of why it's wrong to steal from people but okay to steal from institutions man it would we think be naive to take even such feeble moralizing too seriously as flashpoint observes quote it's worth noting that dark side actors have pledged in the past not to attack organizations in the medical education nonprofit or government sectors at one point they also advertised that they donate a portion of their profits to charities However, neither claim has been verified and should be met with a heightened degree of scrutiny. These dark side operators would be far from the first cyber criminals to make such claims and not follow through, End quote. Colonial Pipeline's website came back online late yesterday, newly armored with a reCAPTCHA landing page. The company published an update in which it reported progress toward resumption of refined petroleum deliveries, with some 967,000 barrels delivered to Atlanta, Belton and Spartanburg in South Carolina, Charlotte and Greensboro in North Carolina, Baltimore, and Woodbury and Linden, which are close to the port of New York and New Jersey. Some lines have been operated under manual control since Monday, at least, and have been moving existing inventory. As the company prepares to restart deliveries, they've taken delivery of an additional 2 million barrels, which they'll ship once service is restored. The company appears also to be addressing some concerns about its pipeline's physical security, having increased aerial patrols of their pipeline right-of-way and deployed more than 50 personnel to walk and drive 5,000 miles of pipeline each day. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has issued an alert that offers a set of best practices to protect against ransomware-induced business disruptions. The alert was prompted by the attack against Colonial Pipeline, and it includes in its introductory section the preliminary conclusion that dark-side ransomware affected Colonial's IT systems only and had no direct effect on the company's OT networks. The best practices CISA advocates are as familiar as they are sound— They include measures that can be taken to avoid infection in the first place, mitigations that can reduce the business impact of a ransomware infection should one occur, and steps organizations could take in responding to an attack. The alert closes with a statement intended to strongly discourage any victim from paying the ransom their attackers demand. Quote, "...paying a ransom may embolden adversaries to target additional organizations." "...encourage other criminal actors to engage in the distribution of ransomware, and or may fund illicit activities. Paying the ransom also does not guarantee that a victim's files will be recovered." Colonial Pipeline isn't the only energy company to sustain a ransomware attack. The Wall Street Journal, which notes that ransomware is a burgeoning threat elsewhere, too, reports that Volu ASA, a Norwegian provider of tech-to-infrastructure and energy companies, was hit by ransomware earlier this month. Recorded Future looks at the criminal's recent record and sees indiscriminate attacks against targets of opportunity, which appears to be the norm for ransomware operators. Among the sectors affected indirectly by mounting rates of ransomware is insurance. The Wall Street Journal describes underwriters' growing skittishness about covering ransomware risks and that such coverage has become pricier to buy. A major insurer, France's AXA, announced last week that it will no longer indemnify new policyholders for payments they make to ransomware operators. It had been the insurance industry practice to do so, ransomware payments being factored into the risk management calculus the way retailers accept a certain amount of shrinkage, that is, pilfering, shoplifting, of their inventory. It seems likely that other insurance firms will follow suit. Ransomware has become too large a problem to treat as a cost of doing business. Khleafy describes t an android banking trojan that first appeared in Italy and is now engaged in fraud campaigns across much of Europe. TeBot steals credentials and SMS messages, It includes Keylogger and screenshot capture functionality, it disables Google Protect, and it steals other accounts from Android Settings and Google Authentication two-factor authentication codes. It also shows the ability to abuse accessibility services to simulate gestures and clicks on the screen. ExtraHop this morning released a study of how insecure but widely used protocols expose organizations to cyber risk, in particular, the deprecated protocol exploited four years ago by WannaCry and NotPetya pseudo ransomware, Server Message Block Version 1, SMB, V1, remains in widespread use. Other deprecated and insecure protocols still in use include Link Local Multicast Name Resolution, LLMNR, NT LAN Manager, NTLMV1, and Hypertext Transfer Protocol, HTTP. The US Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee is deliberating revising the Federal Information Security Management Act to facilitate information sharing about attacks with national security implications, Maritalk reports. The chair and ranking member appear to agree that changes are warranted by recent high-profile cyber attacks. Yesterday was patch Tuesday Microsoft addressed a total of 55 vulnerabilities, four of them rated critical. Adobe fixed problems in several versions of Acrobat and Acrobat Reader. The Zero Day initiative has a summary of these patches and their implications. Onapsis, which calls this month's Patch Tuesday a calm one, has an account of the 14 fixes SAP released. Siemens issued 14 advisories for its systems, nine of which, Security Week writes, cover issues in third-party components. So, patch them if you got them. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. The highlight of the annual RSA Conference is the Innovation Sandbox, where hopeful startups are given the opportunity to pitch their wares in front of a panel of esteemed industry leaders. It's one of many innovation-focused endeavors from RSAC, and joining me with an overview is Cecilia Marinier, Cybersecurity Advisor for Strategy, Innovation, and Scholars at RSA Conference.
0: So this contest actually started back in 2005. And it has been one of the flagship uh, events at conference. And I believe also it's a flagship contest across the globe talking about innovation and cybersecurity. So we're very blessed to have amazing companies keep on uh, putting their name in the hat to see who will be selected as one of the top 10 finalists. For this year, we have an incredible lineup of companies. It's, you know, I've been doing this for the past six years, and this particular year is so strong. There were so many solid, amazing companies that could have made it to the stage. I actually wish I could have done two or three of these contests because there was that many <laughs> that were that good. Um, so the, the the quality and the interest and where they're taking uh, the innovation this year is really something to watch.
1: Can you give us some uh, a preview of what we might expect to see this year?
0: Absolutely. So one of the things that back at the beginning, when we opened up the submission process, and for any entrepreneurs, we do this about three months before contest before the conference starts. So please mark in your calendar October for next year. But when <laughs> we started this, um I had interviewed Neilu Howe, who's one of the judges. And I asked her, Neelu, what do you think is going to be innovative in this year?" And she's like, "Oh, my goodness, The reality is everywhere." And she named off at least, 15 different areas where she was seeing innovation happening in cybersecurity. And it has a lot to do with the times. It has a lot to do with you know, the change from the, uh, working from home. But we've seen innovation everywhere. And what I was really impressed by is the diversity of not only the companies where they came from, but also just the actual uh, innovative spotlights that they're coming at. What are their solutions actually focused on? And it is security risk and compliance and zero trust networks, democratizing fraud alerts, cloud infrastructure security, data security protection, encrypted learning, Sec DevOps infrastructure platform. And um, I, I mean, just I can keep on going on and on. It mm. was just an incredible year of innovation in almost all facets of uh, cybersecurity.
1: You know, one of my favorite things uh, when we're able to attend RSA conference in person is to wander around the edges of the show floor to find those startups, those those little companies who have, you know, some of them not much more than a than a hope and a dream, but that they really believe that they've got something that could uh, could really change things. Um, in the virtual world, it's harder to to have that sort of serendipity of discovery. But I know you all are working on making those discoveries still possible this year.
0: Absolutely, great! Great for highlighting this. We have an area in our digital expo called the early stage expo area. It's on site. We have it. Uh, we have a place on site that's also dedicated to startups. But when you come into the RSA conference this year, please go into the expo area. Check out those. Uh, exhibitors that are in the, the early stage startup area. They're all also very interesting and have great solutions. And the top 10 will be included in there as well. The, the Innovation Sandbox top 10 companies. So if you want to learn more about what they're doing, I highly recommend going into, um, into the early stage expo area.
1: That's Cecilia Marinier from RSA Conference. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. I have some special news to share today. The Cyberwire Podcast Network is proud to be partnering with Microsoft to bring you a new podcast. It's called Microsoft Security Unlocked, CISO series, and it's hosted by Microsoft's Chief Information Security Officer, Brett Arsenault. Brett joins me with a preview of the new podcast.
2: What prompted the idea of starting the podcast was, over the past year, particularly with the pandemic and people working uh, in different scenarios, I would get asked often about, you know, how do you think about security in this environment? What do you do? What are best practices? And I have had the opportunity to meet with uh, customers and partners and people from all over the globe that have really amazing and unique perspectives because it's affected people differently. Some people, like you think uh, geographically, sectorally if you're in manufacturing versus service industry. And so um, this is just a way to share, um, frankly, some of the great learnings. I've been able to be fortunate enough to meet with people to have those kinds of conversations.
1: One of the things that strikes me is that as CISO at Microsoft, you certainly have your eye on a breadth of issues all around the world. So you're going to be able to bring that perspective to the show.
2: Yeah, I think uh, we do have a unique position in that, um, one, uh, we are one of the more attack companies in the globe. And uh, two, we have a unique position in just the way we protect ourselves and how we how we work in that environment. So, yeah, I think there's a pretty interesting opportunity from both us and our customers and partners to share some of that.
1: What are your goals in terms of some of the conversations you're looking to have?
2: Well, I, really, the goals are, should be super simple. One, get some goals on key insights and topics relative to cybersecurity. But most importantly, leave with like three practical things you can go do to help your position or help you with your own security mission. So that that idea that that uh, that there are lots of smart people converting that into the three actions you could go do that would actually help improve your security posture. That's fundamentally what success would look like at the end of each session.
1: And who are you targeting here? Are we are we aiming for other cybersecurity professionals? Or are we looking for? Uh, folks throughout an organization who may
2: gain from your wisdom? Yeah, I think there'll be security people who are interested, but honestly, I think it'll be people outside the security realm. I think security executives who aren't steeped in security but are trying to get a simplified view on what things they should go prioritize and maybe how they should go talk to their security people.
1: You know, I, I think an interesting perspective that you bring to the table is is one of scale. I mean, we we think about Microsoft as being the the large global company that it is, but would you say that you're really fighting a lot of the same fights that people who are defending organizations
2: of all sizes around the world are faced with? Yeah, I agree. Security is an interesting realm in that it impacts all facets of the business on all sectors, from consumer, like personally, to small business to mid-market to enterprise. And also every part of the business, whether it's business applications or whether it's you know cloud services or on-premise services. So it really does touch about every every element or every part of every business. And the good part of it is that the things that we learn, even at enterprise scale. The same things apply like how you do zero trust or securing a hybrid workforce are relative and relevant for a small business a medium sized business a large business, and some for the consumers, although this isn't really a, this isn't targeted to consumers, so i wouldn't I probably wouldn't include that,
1: yeah, yeah, you know as one of the most well known uh brands, certainly when it comes to computing, but I would say just in in general um Microsoft, uh, is it fair to say that you all have a bit of a target on your back when it comes to folks trying to come at you in the cybersecurity realm?
2: Well, I think it's fair to say, yeah. I mean, I think I have a great T-shirt with a big bullseye on the back that I got when I took this job. So, um, (laughs) yeah, no, I absolutely. You know, I think that um, adversaries uh, come after all sorts of companies and sectors and industries and regions for various reasons. Um, But yeah, certainly being a large player in the space, in the technology space, we see our fair share of of attempts. Can you give us a a preview of some of the topics that you're uh, planning on
1: addressing here on the show?
2: Yeah, I think the topics that we want to cover is really driven by the types of questions we were hearing broadly from our customers. How to secure the cloud? What is Zero Trust really and how do I implement it? Securing a hybrid workforce in the you know, new world of work as we uh, slowly come out of this pandemic. And really things like that, or cybersecurity skills gaps. like Most people are struggling with how to get the right talent and how to address that. I think they're topics that really address every company, every business, and every sector around the world.
1: You know, Brett, one of the things that I think you bring to the table as uh, the CISO at Microsoft is you have an extensive Rolodex. When you uh, make a phone call, people are likely to answer it. And uh, I'm hoping that that means you're going to get some really uh, interesting guests who are going to join you
2: on the show. Yeah, it's a great point. The guests are who make this show. These will be... Like who I consider some of the industry thought leaders in security, both from Microsoft, but but probably more importantly from customers who are just doing amazing work. And the goal for them really is in every episode to share practical advice, not just theoretical work, that their listeners can actually go implement and help them drive their own security missions.
1: All right, well, Brett, uh, we're looking forward to hearing uh, the Microsoft CISO podcast here. Uh, Best of luck to it, Uh, and thanks for taking the time for us today. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. the Cyberwire.com. The Cyberwire Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.